Let's open with a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we rejoice this morning in the grace of God. Your grace toward us. The grace in which we are accepted in Christ. The grace which forgives us. The grace which sustains us. The grace which keeps us. The grace that will not let us go. Even as we turn our attention this morning to John 10, as we see our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, may we rejoice in the grace of God that led Jesus to the cross. The grace of God that caused him to lay down his life and to take it up again. May you work in each and every one of us for your purposes this morning through your word. May you be lifted up. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we come to John chapter 10 this morning, the first 21 verses, we're coming to a passage that is most likely familiar to many of us. The passage where Jesus makes the statement, I am the good shepherd. Just to back up and give a little bit of context, it's been a few weeks since we've been in John. As we come to John 10, obviously we're coming out of John 9. In John 9, you may remember the, the circumstances there. You have this man who is born blind. This man who cannot see, and Jesus comes, Jesus heals him. And the irony of John chapter 9 is that this blind man sees what the religious leaders cannot see. He sees so clearly who Jesus is. And because of that, the religious leaders kick him out of the synagogue. As we come to John chapter 10 this morning, as we work our way through these verses, we'll see the true shepherd, the good shepherd, and the powerful shepherd. And the first thing we see in, verses 10, in chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, is the true shepherd. In these verses, we see a comparison between the true shepherd who, who belongs and those who, are only, who only mean harm, those who do not belong. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were somewhere that you felt like you did not belong. I feel that way every time I go shopping for my wife. It just feels weird being in the ladies section. I, just, I feel like I don't belong there. <laughs> but as we look at these verses we see not only that these other shepherds don't belong but they are there to do harm they are there to lead astray in fact we see right here in verse 10 it starts out most assuredly I say to you Right? Who is the you? We just backed up. We saw some of that context in chapter 9. The you here is the Pharisees, the religious leaders of John 9. Those who are standing there, who are carrying on this conversation with Jesus. Those who 
have kicked this blind man who now sees, kicked him out of the synagogue simply because he saw what they could not. It's these same religious leaders who at the end of chapter 9 say, are we too blind? And Jesus says to them, no, you think you see, and that's the problem, is that you think you see. You don't realize what you do not see. This is who he's talking to. So most assuredly, I say to you, Pharisees, religious leaders, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. He doesn't belong there. But there is one who belongs. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He who enters by the door. Most likely what is being pictured here is a large, independent sheep pen. A lot of times, smaller pens would just be connected to the house. That way the family could just keep watch of the, the sheep as they went about their normal days. During the night, they were close. But there were also larger, independent pens. Pens which were pushed away from the house. Which stood alone. Many times in these larger pens... They would be shared by several families, several different flocks, which would make their way into this sheep pen. Many times they would hire an under-shepherd or a doorkeeper, someone who would lay in the door, who would only let those who belong in and out. It was his job to watch, to guard the sheep when they were in the pen. That's the picture that we see here in these first six verses. This large pen with several different flocks inside of it. But there's someone there who does not belong. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way. The same is a thief and a robber. The picture here is of those religious leaders who cast this believing man out of the synagogue. It's a direct reference here to them. They should see the truth in Jesus, just as the blind man did. In fact, they should be the first to lead Israel to Jesus. They should know the prophecies. But instead, they lead them away. Instead, they lead them astray. They cast out the blind man who, who believes. The blind man who sees what they cannot see. And they're doing harm to the people. Really what we find here is the blind leading the blind. It's interesting, if you'll turn with me over to Ezekiel chapter 34... Ezekiel chapter 34, it seems that this is the passage to which Jesus is here making reference as he talks about shepherds who should not be there, shepherds who are thieves, who are robbers. In Ezekiel 34, we find the religious leaders of Ezekiel's day and they are berated as, as the shepherds of Israel's who, who, Israel who take advantage of the sheep. 
not who care, not who do their job. Look what it says here. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, so those who should care for them. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds herd and herd, should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flocks were was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, says the Lord God. Surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherd fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths. They may no longer be food for them. It's exactly what we see here going on in John chapter 10. You who should be leading them, you who should be shepherding them, you who should be caring for them, are advancing your careers at their expense. You're more interested in growing your own fame than you are in leading the sheep to, cry to God. What's interesting is that here in, verse 30, in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, it goes on in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I myself, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he... He is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountain of Israel in the valleys and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture. Their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. They shall lie down and good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and will, will make them lie down, says the Lord God. You have failed. I will feed them. I will shepherd them. So come to John 10. That's exactly what we see here. You have failed. You are doing harm. You have kicked out this one who believes but I will care for him. Look at verse 2. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. You, you, religious leaders, you are false shepherds. I am the true shepherd. 
He enters by the door because he belongs here. These are his sheep. He's the shepherd of these sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens because the doorkeeper knows him because this is his flock. And the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The true shepherd is known by his sheep. He knows his sheep. Notice he doesn't just know them in a general sense. It's not just a general call. It's a personal call. He knows them by name. In the picture here of these verses, the illustration, this is a large pen with several flocks. This shepherd, the true shepherd, comes in and calls his sheep out from among these flocks. It's important to note the context here. Jesus is here talking about a very particular sheepfold. It's the sheepfold of Israel, of Judaism. Later in verse 16, he will mention other flocks that are his. But here he's talking specifically about Israel, about his people. And notice that not every sheep that is in this fold is his. It's only those who believe. It's a very particular group which recognize him and he knows them. He knows them by name. He calls them by name and he leads them out. There's another interesting note here in verse chapter 3. You don't know that I would build my theology off of this. But it's interesting to note that he knows their name before he leads them out. He knows them before he calls them and leads them out. He knows them by name. That's how he calls them by name. They are his. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. He leads them. A lot of time we think of a, a shepherd as going behind the sheep with a sheepdog that will run ahead and guide the sheep. This shepherd goes before his sheep. They follow him. He leads them. They follow he is the master, they are the disciples. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. We just saw that illustrated in a real life in John chapter 9. There's those who don't recognize Jesus and those who do recognize Jesus. And those who do recognize Jesus come out and follow him. Those who don't recognize Jesus revile him. They do not follow him. It's those who know his voice and only those who know his voice who follow. And they will not follow another, yet they will by no means follow a stranger. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Jesus' point and John 10, verses 1 to 6, is simply this. I am the true shepherd. You religious leaders, you are false shepherds. You are here. You are doing harm. 
you are leading astray. You have not cared for my sheep. But I am the true shepherd. I will succeed where you have failed. I will feed them. I will lead them. Just make a very clear statement here about who he is. He is the true shepherd. As we go to verses 7 to 16, we see not only is he a true shepherd, but he's the good shepherd. Then Jesus said to them, again. Now, it's important to note verses 7 to 16 is best understood not necessarily as an explanation of verses 1 to 6. This is a separate illustration. It's connected. It's the same theme. It's many of the same uh, ideas that are expounded upon here, but it's not the same illustration. He's not explaining verses 1 to 6. We see that in several things. As, as you work your way through this, you'll see that whereas in verses 1 to 6, it is one large pen with several flocks, where Jesus' flock comes out and follows him. Here in verses 7 to 16, it is one flock inside one pen. Also in these verses, rather than being the shepherd, Jesus is the door. So the illustration has, has shifted a little bit, but he's still using the same theme, the same ideas. So Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Verses 1 to 5, you have one pen, several flocks, and the pen is picturing the pen of Israel, and Jesus calls his people out from that pen. Verses 7 to 16, you have one pen with one way in. One flock. And that is those who go in through Christ. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. The same theme will pick up again in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the one way in. I am the one way out. If anyone enters by me, and only by me, he will be saved. There's no other way into this fold. There's one way in. There is no one in this fold who has not come in through Jesus. There is one way in. There is one door, and Jesus is that door. If and only if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. He will be shaved. He will be saved and he will be cared for. He will be saved. He will go in and out. He will find pasture. He will be cared for. The false shepherds earlier, they did not care for. They did not feed. I will feed my flock. I will care for them. 
The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. These false messiahs, false shepherds, false leaders are just like their father who was a murderer from the beginning, as we saw in John chapter 8. Their father, the devil, who is a liar, they are like him. They come only to kill, to steal, to destroy. But Jesus comes to save, to care. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I love that verse. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. They came to kill, to destroy, to lead you astray. I came to save. I came to bring life and to bring it more abundantly. This goes back to the congregational scripture reading earlier, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a personal psalm. It's the testimony of a man who knows God, who trusts in God. Psalm 23 doesn't just say the Lord is like a shepherd. It's personal. The Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. I am cared for. Besides still waters, I am cared for. In the valley of the shadow of death, I am cared for. There's not a single place in Psalm 23 where those who can say the Lord is my shepherd do want. Because the Lord is their shepherd, they don't want. That's what we see here. I am the... I, uh, Anyone injured by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. He will be cared for. I have come that they may have life, purpose to bring life. John 3, 16 through 17. For God's will of the world, that he gives only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not uh, come to, to destroy. He came to give life. That's why he came. I came to give life. And that they may have it more abundantly. That they may have it more abundantly. I think it's important that we understand that word. What does he mean by abundantly? Because see, there's lots of preachers who will stand up today and say, God wants you to live an abundant life. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy. That's not what he means by the abundant life. The abundant life here is eternal life. It is life without end. It is as 2 Corinthians 5, 4 states. When you come to death, what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Life abundant, life eternal. The abundant life is not a life without pain or struggle. It's a life without end. It is life without death. It is eternal life. I have come that you may have life. Not just here. 
but that you may have real life, that you may have eternal life. But herein lies the question. How? How? We know, as the Old Testament say, that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have gone our own way. Many of us have grown up in church. We, we know Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, that we are all sinners, that the penalty of sin is death, the wages of sin is death. We are sinners and we deserve death. So how can Jesus give us life? How can a God who is just give eternal life to those who deserve death, even if he loves them? Even if he loves them. How can he give them life if they deserve death and still remain just? The answer is found in verse 11. How is this accomplished? How is it that you give life and life more abundantly? It's because I am the good shepherd. He's not just the true shepherd, he is the good shepherd. And what does a good shepherd do? The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's how. Because the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus can be the life-giving shepherd because he is the self-sacrificing shepherd. In fact, it is in these four words, gives his life for the sheep. We find the substitutionary atonement. The good shepherd gives his life in place of and for those who don't deserve life. He gives his life for those who deserve death. The good shepherd gives his life that by his death the sheep may be saved. That's how the good shepherd gives us life more abundantly. Because the good shepherd dies in the place of, for the sheep. Verse 12 goes on, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Jesus is here as the good shepherd contrasted with a very bad shepherd. A hireling who has no ownership or love for the sheep. He does not care for them. He does not know them. So he does not risk his life for them. I've talked many times. of my, my, my dad has a business in South Carolina. He's a commercial cleaner. He, he ha- runs his own business. And as a business owner, you have ownership of that business. That is your business. If a building is not cleaned, there's no one else that you answer to. That is your business. That is your reputation that is on the line. Many times we'd go to clean a building, a building that I could clean in an hour, easy. Empty trash, real quick dust, I could make it look really good. But if my dad was there for me, with me, it would take us three hours. Because he cared. Because he took ownership. For me, I, I probably should have cared more because I was living under his roof, so really it affected me too. But for me in high school, it was just a job. 
It was 20 bucks. It was nice to have, but it wasn't necessary. For him, it was his livelihood. He took ownership of that business. He took ownership of that job. It's the contrast here. Someone who, who doesn't really care. They're not really that invested. Contrasted with Jesus, the good shepherd, who is all in. He is fully invested in this sheep. It is not just that he is willing to lay down his life for his sheep, but he does lay down his life for his sheep. He cares about them. He reiterates here in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. I know them. I call them by name, verse 3, and am known by my own. I know them, they know me. Verse 14, 14 is an amazing statement. Verse 14 into verse 15, though. Because in these verses, Jesus compares the intimate relationship between shepherd and sheep, and he equates it to the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Think about that. My relationship to my sheep is like my relationship to my Father. I know my sheep, they know me, as the Father knows me, even so I am known by him. That is a phenomenal statement. The relationship between the Father and Son is a deeply personal relationship. It is a bond that cannot be broken. As the Son submits to and glorifies the Father, so the sheep recognize and follow only the shepherd. This is a bond that cannot be broken. There is no possibility that the sheep might not recognize their shepherd or that Jesus as the shepherd will overlook a sheep. A sheep? Is that right? A lamb? A sheep? Is that right? That sounds really weird. There is no possibility that he will overlook one because they are his. This is a bond that cannot be broken. It is impossible. And here in the end of verse 15, the idea from verse 11 that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep is repeated, but it is even more personal. Jesus takes it out of, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does this to specifically saying, I do this. I lay down my life for the sheep. I do this. This is not just some hypothetical that we are talking about. I do this. I know my sheep in this way. I care for my sheep in this way. I am good in this way. I lay down my life for them. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. It goes back to verses 1 to 5, those outside of Judaism, Gentiles, Samaritans. You go back to chapter 4 of John, the Samaritan woman. There's a whole city there that he had. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and them also I must bring, that they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
And that's the truth that we see in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, that we looked at several weeks ago, the, the, um, those who are in the church. It is those who are redeemed, those who are Christ's. This is a reference to the church. These two flocks will be brought together under one Savior. I must bring them. I love that, that little phrase there at the end of verse 16. And them also I must bring. It's not I might bring. If I have time, I will bring. I must bring them. It is necessary. Why? Because they are mine and I am theirs. Because my relationship to them is as my relationship to the Father. It is guaranteed. It is sure. I must bring them. To come to verse 17, we've seen that he is the true shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And now we see that he's a powerful shepherd. He's a shepherd who has authority. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. It's an interesting statement. It's a statement that I spent a lot of time this week thinking about. It almost sounds at first like Jesus is saying, this is why the father loves me. If I did not do this, the father would not love me. That's not what he's saying. Rather, what he is saying is that Jesus knows the Father's will. We've seen that from verse 15. The Father knows me, I know him. Jesus knows the Father's will. Jesus submits to the Father's will. Jesus' death was not a, a rogue action, action contrary to the will of the Father. The Father loves me in this. In fact, the Father sent me to this. This is not something where Jesus is acting contrary to the Father's will. There's not some setup here where the Father is, is this vindictive, hateful God of the Old Testament and Jesus is the good, loving God of the New Testament. They are one and the same and their will is the same. And the Father is glorified in the cross. The Father loves the Son through the cross. The Father, Jesus, knows his will. He submits to his will. He's not going contrary to his will. This is the Father's plan that Christ submits to willingly. So therefore, in this, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. That I may take it up again. There's a purpose statement there. That, in order that. I lay down my life in order that I may take it up again. As we see here in verse 17, we see that the resurrection is not an afterthought. It's not that Jesus died and then, well, now he has to rise. The resurrection is not necessary because of the cross. Rather, the cross is necessary because of the resurrection. I lay down my life in order that I might take it up again. I die so that I can rise if sin is to lose its power, 
If death is to be defeated, if eternal life, life more abundant, is to be granted to the sheep, and if I am to rise again, then Jesus must rise again. The resurrection is necessary. The resurrection is not a last-minute reaction. It is part of a plan from eternity past. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I do it. I lay it down. I take it up. No one, verse 18, takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. If Jesus did not die voluntarily, Jesus would not have died. It is I who laid it down. No one forced me. No one took it from me. I did not do this against my will. I laid it down. Why? So we saw earlier, because I am a good shepherd. That's why I laid it down. I laid it down so that I could give you life, so that I could give you life more abundantly. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up. Just as he willingly laid it down his life, he willingly took up his life. And yet the verse goes on, this command I've received from my father. Those ideas are not contrary. The father can command the son, and the son can obey, not against his will. He does it willingly. The Father sent him willingly. He came willingly. We've seen many places in the, in the New Testament where the resurrection is credited to the Father. God has done this. And we see here that the resurrection is credited to the Son. Both the Father and the Son are involved, not just in the cross, but in the resurrection. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And he did this for the sheep. He did this for us. Because we are sinners. Because God is just. Because we deserve death. So he died for us. And he rose again for us. Therefore, as Paul says in Romans, we died with him and we will rise with him. Therefore, we have the glories of being in Christ, the benefits of all that is ours in Christ. Verse 19 21, you have the reaction then of those in the crowd. Therefore, there is a division again among the Jews. There seems to be always a division among the Jews when it comes to Jesus. But isn't it true that there's always a division in the world when it comes to Jesus? You either believe him or you don't. You either turn to him and repent or you don't. And that's exactly what we see here. Many of them said, he has a demon, he is mad. Why are you listening to him? But others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? He doesn't speak like he has a demon. He doesn't act like he has a demon. We just saw him give a blind man sight, someone who'd been blind from birth, 
just one chapter ago. He doesn't act like he has a demon. He doesn't speak like he has a demon. But really, this is the two reactions that we see to Jesus. Either he has a demon, either he is crazy, or he is who he says he is, and he has done what he says he has done. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, who takes it up again that we might live. Won't you believe? If you have never placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation, won't you believe today? Won't you turn from your sin and turn to Christ? Won't you look to the true shepherd, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for you? It wasn't this passage, but it was this picture which led me to salvation as a five-year-old. I grew up in a Christian home. I had heard my entire life about the fact that I was a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for me, that Jesus was God. I knew the facts of the gospel. But I remember as a five-year-old sitting in kindergarten, we were singing a song. We were looking at Psalm 23 that day. And I remember being struck by the realization that the Lord is a shepherd, but the Lord is not my shepherd. I can't say that. I cannot say that the Lord is my shepherd. In my little five-year-old mind, that picture of a shepherd and his sheep, sheep who are owned by a shepherd, who follow a shepherd, who are identified with a shepherd, who know the shepherd and the shepherd knows him. I was not part of that flock and that clicked in my mind and it brought the gospel together and I understood. I understood that I was a sinner, that my sin separated me from a holy and a just God and that I had to accept him as my savior to be saved, that he is the good shepherd, that he did die for me, that he took my penalty. And that I could be a part of that flock if I would just believe. As a five-year-old, I believed and the Lord became my shepherd. And I would call you this morning, won't you believe? Won't you let the Lord be your shepherd this morning? He's a true shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's a powerful shepherd. And there's only one way into this flock, and it's through Christ alone. He is the door. Secondly, and this is just a more general observation for us as the church, and that would be to guard this pulpit. There are many with no regard from the truth, for the truth, many who would love to sneak in and to destroy this flock. Many who would love to lead us astray, and we must guard this pulpit. Those who were tasked to lead Israel, to teach them the truth, to point them to God, led them astray. May we never be led by a pastor astray. And that's a challenge to me 
to stand on the solid foundation of the word of God, to only preach the truth, to always preach the truth. And that's a challenge to you to keep me accountable, to keep anyone who steps into this pulpit accountable. Don't worry about hurt feelings. Worry about souls. The truth must be preached. And finally, rejoice in your good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You have a good shepherd. Don't forget your good shepherd.